Hi, this is Dan Cohen. I'm a pediatrician and parent from WestMed, and welcome to Is That Normal? Today, we're going to be talking with Dr. Sarah Kenimore. She's a fellow pediatrician and the director of pediatrics at WestMed. And our topic today is how to find a pediatrician that can work with you. How are you doing, Sarah? Great, Dan. <laughs> it's good Happy to see you. Happy to be here. <laughs> Sarah and I are very collegial because we've been working together for well, we'll just say a long time. Uh, we knew each other at Columbia as residents and have continued to work together ever since. So um, anything else you want to tell our audience about your career, your background? Well, I've been very lucky. I mean, I started in pediatrics here in Westchester about 20 years ago when my son, my first child, was about three months old. So I have watched him and my patients grow up uh, in this job over the last 20 years. So it's been a real pleasure and a privilege to do that. Very cool. And in the beginning of this uh, podcast venture, we're taking some of the basic topics. Today is probably the most basic of all topics, which is how does a parent choose a pediatrician for their child? Uh, we have parents coming to us all the time, very nervous about whether their child is, as we've been saying, are they normal? And how can they keep them from being normal? In in all discretion and in all candor for the audience, uh, this is kind of ironic in the fact that Dr. Kenimore is my child's pediatrician. And uh, I take care of Sean, her son. So uh, we, we chose our pediatricians well uh, because we, we knew them. But we'll give you some hints and uh, pointers about how to choose a pediatrician of your own. So, um, Sarah, if you had any guidelines or advice for parents, how would you give it to them? Sure. I mean, I think at the beginning, you're looking at just some basic objective criteria um, I think when you're one thing about having a pediatrician that's a little different from other doctors you've had is that you probably see more of your pediatrician in the first three, four years than you do of any other doctor you've really seen outside of your OBGYN. Um, so geography matters. It shouldn't be the deciding factor, certainly, but it's it's definitely, especially for working parents, it's a it's nice to have them somewhat convenient to your home. Um, yeah, obviously they need to take your insurance. I think, as I say, every kid needs a college savings plan. And if you're paying out of pocket for your pediatrician, that's money directly out of the college savings plan that your child needs. Um, you know, of course, they need to be well-trained. Certainly, it's important to look at their resume and make sure that they are from a you know reputable training program. Um, but you can always check online at the American Board of Pediatrics uh, to make sure that they maintain their certification, which is an ongoing process of continuing medical education. Uh, so you go to ABP as an American Board of Pediatrics.org, and you can check certification there. And that's probably the three basic things of objective criteria that I would think about, the geography, the, taking the insurance, and then obviously making maintaining their certification. Yeah, I, I agree. And, you know, the thing when parents are coming in, we live in a world of Google, so everyone can look for those sources. But I think the the first thing is location, as, as Dr. Kenmore was saying. The, to me, one of the most important things is you need to have an available pediatrician. And it's not just available as far as being able to get to them quickly, because sometimes we deal with things as far as the emergency situation, if it ever happened. And you wanna be able to get in touch with them quickly. So I think as you're meeting your pediatrician, which is the next step in our conversation, is once you've chosen a location and a general sense of this looks like someone who's reputable, you wanna kind of then ask the further questions of, basically, what would you do in cases that you were in absolute need and then the next most important question is, how do you get in touch with them? Um, in WestMed, uh, I mean, I know it as well, but what are some of the ways that parents have gotten in touch with you that seem to be beneficial um, for, our, for our program? 
So, you know, we always want to divide the need for the pediatrician into emergent, urgent, and routine. Um, certainly for emergent issues, those are things that are uh, threatening to the child's life in some way. And obviously you're going to your nearest emergency room and you're not calling your pediatrician for that. So I think it's always important to separate out emergent from urgent or routine. If it's emergent, you're calling us once you're there. You're not calling us, you know, uh, you're not calling us first before going if it's a true emergency. Um, Urgent, of course, would be something, you know, that you need advice on. And that's obviously what we're there on call for at night. So certainly you can call us at any time of day or night with a question of, is this urgent or not? And we will help you sort of parse through, should I be going to uh, the emergency room right now? Should I go to, tomorrow to the office to see one of you guys? Or should I go out to an urgent care, which are now on every street corner, uh, this evening before I go to work in the morning? Is it, so we can help help you triage that decision, certainly after hours, by having the doctor on call paged. Um, that is one thing you want to think about. Many practices and very good practices will sometimes use a nurse triage service, and that right. is... Um, it's a very efficient way to get good advice uh, from people. Other people really want to speak to their doctor at night, and I think asking that question when you meet with a doctor, do you have your calls after hours go to a triage nurse service or do you take them yourselves? Um, and good pediatricians do it both ways, depending a lot on the size of their practice more than anything else. Um, we also have a, you know, portal for sort of routine information, which I think is great. A portal is like a, a secure email, email service. System, right. um, and, you know, I always tell people that's not for a fever. It's not for vomiting. That's for potty training questions, behavior questions, um, you know, school questions, that sort of thing. Those are best dealt with initially by email, but often followed up with a phone call if it's easier to get the history that way. Right. So. And I, I think... You know, when you're talking to your communication is going to be the key here. And, you know, a lot of times you'll get this first bit of information online. You'll see what school the, the doctor went to, although I think that's of lesser importance. But obviously some schools and training programs look better than others. And then a question that came up in the past a lot more often than it does now, although all parents seem to ask, and I'm sure this is your experience too, is which hospital are you affiliated with? And that's something that's really changed over time. Um, we know now that most of the the world is being divided into and subdivided into things like hospital-based and outpatient medicine. And a lot of pediatrics inpatient is done by hospitalists. So the affiliations aren't as poor, aren't as important, but they're still important. How do you when parents ask you that question about who you're affiliated with, how do you wrangle through that the, the information? So I say a lot of exactly what you just said, which is that it has a lot less practical importance these days in terms of we are no longer rounding on the patients in the hospital. They are being covered by the inpatient hospitalists. Um, but what is important um, and what I tell people, especially in the New York area, we have a luxury. I, I have, you know, my sister is a pediatrician in Montana and it's a completely different system out there because there's, you're lucky if there's one hospital in an area, much less one on every corner as there is here. So in the New York area, it's nice to have one academic affiliation with one of the big teaching hospitals, which, you know, Dr. Cohen and I both admit to Columbia, which is sort of a convenient uh teaching hospital that we have a lot of connections with. So that makes the communication with the covering physicians much easier. And then it's also nice to have a local community hospital, such as, you know, the, we have several up here. Um, and those are good for broken bones and for sutures and rehydration and sort of the easy, simple stuff that uh, you really don't need a subspecialist for. 
Yeah, I agree. You know, I completely agree. And that's that's something that I feel is a strength. I always joke with parents all the time is that when you're talking to your pediatrician, we tend to be like contractors for your house, where if there's work that you have to get done, you hire the contractor. And although he may not be able to fix your toilet, you know, he or she may know a guy and you want to have them know the way to go when something is more emergent. And that's kind of a good step towards when you're meeting with a parent, you know, what I always feel like is that meeting, the parent comes in with their list of questions, but in fact, most of them feel pretty routine. The most important part of the interaction is the communication. Um, and is this a pediatrician that you're going to bond with? Do you feel comfortable talking to them? Because you are going to be talking to them at all hours of the night about embarrassing things. And, you know, I've had parents call me at three o'clock in the morning about their child's stool color, you know, so you really want to know that you have someone that you can bond with and they are going to be a big part of your family from then on. I think, you know, I think that's so important, having a um, good communication with your pediatrician. I would say a lot of, um, a lot of you know, pregnancy advice books out there will tell you to have a, a meet and greet uh, opportunity with the pediatrician beforehand. And those can be very useful. And, you know, I think um, they can help you sort of figure out if you have the right fit with your pediatrician. Um, I think that I know when I'm having those meet and greets, one of the things I always say to people is I am a pediatrician who thinks out loud. Um, as I'm thinking out loud about your child's illness, for some people that's reassuring, they like to hear the thought process, and other people it stresses them out. If that stresses you out, I'm not your woman. If that is reassuring to you, we will make a good team. And I think that's important to, to sort of recognize and have some idea in your head of how you want to interact with your pediatrician under, under uh, situations of stress. Like if your child is sick and you're missing work and you have another child at home that needs to be picked up, you are stressed. And it is important to know that your pediatrician is going to speak in a way that is efficiently reassuring to you under the circumstances. I'm both a parent and a pediatrician. And I think one of the gifts of being a pediatrician is that we have the ability to look at it from both sides, where every other time you're a patient and a doctor, and it's hard to be both. Being a parent, you're also look, we're both looking at a third person. So one of the things I think that's really important when you're talking to a pediatrician is seeing how they can deal with the the distance between you and your child when they're sick because your angst is going to add to that. I always felt like one of the most important things you can do as a pediatrician is the callback, is how quickly does your pediatrician respond to issues. And to me, one of the, when I was teaching medical students and residents and the like, I always said the most powerful tool as a pediatrician is to call back after you dealt with something. Because we'll have a parent who's talking with a child who has a fever of 103. And at that moment, they're pretty sure their child has every known infectious disease illness, including Ebola. And we'll say, well, no, probably not. Here, give some Tylenol. And then the most reassuring thing you can do is I'm going to call you back in about 40 minutes. That to me is a great question to ask. And you can't really ask, are you going to call me back? But kind of get the sense of your pediatrician over time of what's the system that's in place for that and what they would do in a case of an emergency. Um, that's good advice if you're a parent looking for a pediatrician. And in simple situations, that's, that's usually enough. But a lot of times we'll have parents coming in with children with chronic disease or with special conditions. What advice would you have for a parent if they had a child with a chronic illness, Sarah, that questions they could ask? Well, I think the, um, I think so often when somebody has a chronic illness, you're looking for a team to help take care of the child's 
specific condition. And again, being in the New York area, you're probably going to have five really good options of people who take care of your uh, child's specific chronic condition. What we do as pediatricians is sort of function as a sounding board when you are getting advice from one or two high paid specialists to try to do, to try to address your child's problem, it's hard to know as a parent who to trust on that. And we are that trusted source that can help, that help you parse through the different approaches and come up with what works best for your family. So I think, um, I think using your pediatrician in that way as a sounding board, um, when you're dealing with a chronic issue is, is particularly important. I think also maintaining that relationship with your primary care pediatrician, watching growth and development and all the things that sometimes get lost in a large subspecialty clinic when you have a chronic condition is important. Um, I think, uh, you know, most families, if they have other kids, that sort of fosters that ongoing relationship because you're seeing your regular pediatrician on a regular basis for other kids. Um, so I don't know if that answers your question, but yeah, I mean, I agree. I think, you know, seeing how your pediatrician organizes the, the multitude of, of, of needs, the, the, the pharmacies, the specialists, how they can kind of coordinate your plan. It's almost like having, like, like we said, a, an office assistant deal with all the stuff that's out there. So you can deal with the most important thing with, which is your child, um, you know, a lot of times when I have a child with a chronic disease, a parent will come in, let's say autism, for instance, because it's so common, and they'll have specialists that are therapists and neurologists and psychiatrists, and they'll go, are you an autism specialist? Or do you have children right. with autism? You know, having a pediatrician kind of organize those thoughts for you and be that sounding board that Dr. Kenmore talked about is really, really important. Yeah, and I think that's another thing that I think is so important in this in this area um, oftentimes you will have people trying to sell treatments or recommend treatments that are not data proven and that are only reimbursable with cash and not approved by insurance companies. And I think helping a family parse through data to understand what is worth their time and energy and what is really just, uh, for lack of a better world, word, snake oil, you oh, know, to try to yeah. help their child who has a chronic condition. Um, we can be a voice of reason, um, you know, sometimes in favor of the snake oil, if it seems like there's nothing to lose and right. why not. Uh, but oftentimes a little bit of a uh, reality check on on what is worth the family resources and time um, in pursuit of uh, what may or may not be helpful. Have you ever had situations where you had a family come in where you didn't feel like it was a fit? Like what would be the times where a parent, you know, we're, you know, I think some parents are coming in and thinking that we're really, a product that we're trying to sell. We're our own product and we just want patience. But when is those, when are those times where it just doesn't seem to be the right yeah. fit? It, for me, it's, it's, it's trust. Um, you know, any new parent is getting a lot of advice from a mother-in-law, from a mother, from a sister, from the internet, from 18 different pregnancy books. Um, and so I know that that advice is not always going to line up with what I think is the best advice. And Parents don't always have to do things my way, certainly, but there should be some trust. And I try to be clear when I feel strongly about something versus when I just, you know, am, am offering my best suggestion. Uh, but if I feel strongly about something and the patient does not agree with it and is taking other advice that I honestly feel like is in, not in the best interest of the child, I know if we disagree about something early on, the obvious one would be vaccines. 
it's just not going to be a productive 22 year relationship. And my hope is that we have a 22 year relationship um, that I, when your child graduates from college, they, you know, are with me from birth until then. Um, But if we disagree on something as fundamental as vaccines to the health and well-being of the child, we're not going to get along on everything along the way. And it's just honestly not a relationship worth pursuing. And I think they're better off with someone else. Yeah. And I I agree. I mean, I've had that situation myself. And I think the one thing is we have to understand that we live in a culturally different world where everyone has their opinions. And what I try to emphasize to parents is I will absolutely give you the the information that when there is data on something, I will tell you what that data is and I'll be sure to tell you my opinion. But if it's something that is truly just opinion based, you know, that be a time where I'll go, well, this is something you can make your choice on, but here is what my choice would be for my own child. I think that's one of the, you know, being a parent again is one of the most powerful tools you could have. Right. Uh, I love stealing our partner, uh, Dr. Bombach's line of, you know, I may like your kid. I love mine. Why would I do that differently for anybody else? But there are those times where you have a parent coming in. I, I remember having one, it had to be about 15 years ago, who came to us, came to our practice because they heard that we were thoughtful and sensitive and knowing people. And they started asking about other ways of vaccinating, basically, not just doing it in a different order, but like natural products and all this. And I started going through the data. And over time, we realized that conversation, it lasts about 45 minutes. We even got to the point of, well, they didn't even believe in chemotherapy if it came for cancer. I said, you know what? I understand your position. I said, but what I feel like this is, is as if you were, and I'll do my metaphor as usual, that if you were a quarterback that played in high school and threw for 10,000 yards in high school and you found a coach and his belief was his football team did better running, it's time for you to find a different team. It's not that your way is wrong necessarily. It's just not the way that I do things. And in a case like that, it may be better for you to find someone to work with you because in a place like that, I'm not going to stop fighting to do what's best for your child in my eyes with the data, with the years that you that I've taken. And as you said, if you don't trust in that, this relationship really it's failed from the beginning. And I would and I would flip it around to give you an example of sort of where, you know, my patients may or may not do the, what I recommend all the time. And it doesn't bother me one bit. And that would be food introduction in the first year of life. I sure. Mean, there is zero data on how to feed human children. So yep. nobody really knows what the best thing to do is. So there's some basics. You want to avoid the choking hazards and you want to, you know, respect the allergen introduction. But other than that, there's I not a lot of data. And so when I, I give my, what I call mother-in-law advice, which is, you know, I, I have my standard mother-in-law advice, uh, but people can take it as exactly that. If they don't want to do it, that is absolutely fine with me. So I think being clear about what we have data to support and that we truly think is in the best needs of the child and honestly, what is truly a parenting decision, as long as we're clear about that, I think it's reassuring to parents to know that not everything has one right answer. And our job as parents is to teach people to trust themselves a bit and to teach people that there isn't always going to be a right answer. And so if you have looked at the options, ruled out the dangerous ones, choosing among the not dangerous ones is more your choice than ours. We're happy to help you get there, but it is often going to be a parental choice. Yep. 
If, if you're looking like as a parent to fine tune these things, like we gave you kind of the basics and the really the important stuff as far as choosing a pediatrician. Some of the other factors, like something that I actually like about our practice is that we're a multi-specialty group. So we have pediatric subspecialists that are available to us for a lot of things and a lab and an x-ray. So like I can run upstairs to a pediatric dermatologist who we actually really love our pediatric dermatologist uh, and get an advice. That is just... That's a, that's a perk. It's not something that you need because, as we said, most pediatricians will have that ability to do that or at least know a guy or know a woman to do that, the ophthalmologist in the area, the dentist in the area. But in the end, the most important piece is that we will be members of your family and we will be members of your family that you'll need to trust through what could very well be some of the most stressful experiences of your lives. Unfortunately, you know, fortunately or unfortunately, most of us chose pediatrics because – Kids just tend to get better. They grow, and it's an amazing journey to go through watching these people who couldn't talk and drool on themselves to become going to college and, you know, success and loving and all this. But there's going to be some trauma and some drama, unfortunately, in some people's lives. And you want someone you can look to across the way that you know is going to be with you and be able to communicate to you in a concise and calm, soothing manner. And also be able to fix the problem if there is an ability to do so. Um, do you have any closing thoughts for patients looking for a pediatrician, Sarah? Well, I mean, I think you said it very nicely there. I think that that, that really is what you're looking for, is somebody to walk through the 22 years that you are uh, – that you're a parent of a child under your roof uh, with. And we, you know, want to be a part of that for the ups and the downs. Um, I think – you know, obviously, plug for Westmed. We think that we offer a nice range of uh, of pediatricians in terms of style and age and location and all of that. Um, I think we have a lot to offer across our department, um, uh, and we certainly hope that people will listen to this and decide to cho choose a Westmed pediatrician. Um, I I know I have for my kids, yep. uh, both <laughs> my kids, <laughs> um, and so we certainly think that we uh, provide and get good right. care. But, it, but in the end, it, the most important thing is finding someone that meshes with you. That's and right. Absolutely. So um, I, I think, you know, going forward, you know, remember that you want to the, – the, the facts that are really key going forward is taking that look around in your areas, finding someone that you can trust, finding their connections in the area. In the end, you do what's best for your kid because that's the reason we're all doing this. Um, so again, thank you for, uh, for listening and Dr. Kenmore, thank you for your time and your expertise. Thank you for having uh, me. No, I, and I look forward to talking again one day. This is, <laughs> <laughs> it'll probably be tomorrow. Um, this is, is that normal? And, uh, I hope you get to listen to us again sometime. Take care.